Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. I'm Anthony Buzzard, inviting you again to investigate Scripture with us for a few moments as we continue with our search for truth in regard to the most important and fundamental topic in the whole of the Bible, Jesus' favorite term, the gospel about the kingdom of God. We've been pointing out that Jesus was a Jew who must be studied and investigated and understood in his own first century Palestinian Jewish environment. It makes no sense at all that we should assume that Jesus thought just like a 20th century American or Englishman. Jesus was a Jew. He worked with Jewish categories when he spoke. He thought in Jewish terms. He was thoroughly grounded and rooted in the Hebrew Bible, what we rather regrettably call the Old Testament. It was the Hebrew Bible that gave Jesus the source of his principal ideas. And one of the most important of all of his ideas, of course, was the subject of his gospel, that's to say the kingdom of God. We've been stressing the fact that the kingdom of God is a Jewish idea. If you want to get a handle on that principal topic of Jesus' gospel, the kingdom of God, Daniel 2.44 is a critically important passage. There we find the kingdom of God to be a real empire, a theocracy, a government of God coming on this earth. It's going to supersede present governments. And in Daniel 7, verse 27, we find that the location of that kingdom is to be under the whole heaven, that's to say, on the earth. This is not a kingdom in your heart. It's not a kingdom removed from this earth in some super-celestial area. It's a kingdom of God to be established on the earth for which Jesus is going to return. The purpose of Jesus' second coming is to initiate this kingdom of God on the earth. And the purpose of his preaching was to recruit followers who would not only believe in his cause, the cause of the kingdom, but would train and prepare themselves under the grace of God now for rulership with him in that future kingdom of God on the earth. These simple basic truths may be found in Matthew 5, verse 5, where Jesus said that the meek are going to have the earth as their inheritance. In other passages he spoke of the kingdom of God as our inheritance, proving, of course, that the kingdom of God will be on the earth, an earth renewed indeed by the presence of Jesus at that time and by a brand new world order, freed indeed from the present deceptive clutches of the devil who has the whole present evil world system in his hand, as 1 John 5.19 clearly says. Satan in the Bible is said to be the god of this age, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. He's the deceiver of the entire world. And his deceptive activity is directed towards obscuring, blocking, and jamming the precious saving message of Jesus, which he entitled the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. An excellent key to Bible study will be found in the fact that the term Word of God in the New Testament is not just a synonym for the Bible as a whole. It's a technical term, so to speak, for the Gospel about the Kingdom. You can demonstrate that easily by looking at Luke 4, verse 43, where Jesus spoke of his commission to preach the good news of the kingdom. And in the very next verse, in chapter 5 and verse 1 of Luke's gospel, you'll find that kingdom of God message is called the word of God. The crowds gathered round Jesus to hear his preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. And at the same time, Luke says they were hearing the word of God throughout the New Testament. This is a technical term for the gospel of the kingdom. It's a much more focused phrase than simply a synonym for the Bible as a whole. 
When the apostles speak of the Bible, they speak of the Holy Scriptures or the Holy Writings. Jesus himself referred in Luke 24:44 to the Law, the Prophets, and the Psalms. That was the totality of the Old Testament canon at that time. The New Testament canon, of course, has been added to the Old to give us the complete Bible, ending with the book of Revelation. The Word of God is the saving, creative message given by God to Jesus to form immortality in us human beings. The Word of God means the revelation of the very mind and purpose and thought of God. God's Word is God's revealing and creative activity. You'll remember in Genesis 1 that we read that God said, let there be light. That was God's expression, God's utterance, which caused that light to come into being. The psalmist says in Psalm 33, verses 6 to 9, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all their host by the breath of his mouth. He spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Psalm 33, 6 to 9. In Psalm 46, verses 6 to 7, we find the same type of expression. We read that the nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, God uttered his voice, the earth melted, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. And so you see, for the psalmist and the writers of the Hebrew Bible, God's presence is revealed when he utters his voice, which melts the earth. It's God's saving creative activity, which affects whatever comes under the influence of his creative utterance. The same thought is found in Psalm 147, verse 18, where the melting of ice is regarded as caused by the sending out of the word of God. Or again in Psalm 148, verse 8, all the elements of nature are seen as fulfilling God's word. In the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, we have the same thought. Wisdom is seen as being the revealing and the creative activity of God. When God established the heavens, I was there, wisdom says. When God marked out the foundations of the earth, I, wisdom, was with him as a master workman. Proverbs 8, verses 27 to 30. The term word in the New Testament does not refer to some speculative philosophical idea borrowed from the pagans. No, it has a thoroughly Hebrew meaning. Word is the creative and revealing activity of God himself. Now this comes through in the Gospel of John with great clarity. Jesus spoke constantly of the need for us to hear his creative word, his teaching. In John 5.24, Jesus said, He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has the life of the age to come. In other words, is saved. You see there the relationship and the connection between hearing the word, the creative activity of God through Jesus, his message of the kingdom, the necessity of hearing that in order to gain salvation. In John 5.38, Jesus said to his enemies, You do not have God's word abiding in you, because whom God sent you do not believe. Again in John 8.31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, my teaching, my gospel, then you are truly my disciples. In 8.37, he said, You are seeking to kill me. 
because my gospel, my word, my word of the kingdom does not have free course in you. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. John 8:43. In 8:51 and 52, again Jesus said, If a man hears my word, he will never die. And so we see that the gaining of immortality depends on a successful and intelligent hearing, reception, comprehension of the word, the creative teaching and gospel of Jesus himself. If a man loves me, Jesus said in John 14, 23-24, he will preserve my teaching, my gospel, my word, and then my Father will love him and will come to him and make our abode with him. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. In John 15, verse 3, Jesus spoke of the tremendous benefits to be bestowed by the Word, by His teaching, by His Gospel. Already you are clean, He said, because of the Word which I have spoken to you. Jesus claimed in John 17:6 that He had manifested God's name to the men whom God had given Him out of the world. They belong to God, and you, God, gave them to me, and they have kept your word. And so here again the definition of the true apostles, of the true disciples, is given in terms of those who have accepted Jesus' teaching for salvation. I have given them your word, he said in John 17, verse 8. And in 17:14 again, I have given them your word, and the world hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. In 1717 he said to God, he prayed to God, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is the truth. And that word of truth, of course, is exactly synonymous with the word of the gospel of the kingdom, which was the burden of all of Jesus' preaching. In John 17, verses 20 and 21, Jesus said, I do not pray only for these, talking of the apostles, but for those also who believe on me through their word, that they may all be one. And so unity in the church is to be achieved when we all center around the word, gospel, and teaching of Jesus. Now these passages and many others make it quite clear that the word is the creative and saving activity coming from God himself through Jesus. The word is the essential inner mind of God revealed in the teaching of Jesus himself. Jesus expresses the plan of God, the purpose of God, and the thought of God. The object of Christianity is to gain, by a learning process, the mind of Christ, as 1 Corinthians 2 and the last verse of that chapter states. And so we see that God's mind is his word, and this mind, this word, is expressed in the teaching of Jesus himself. If you've heard the words of Jesus You've heard the words of the Father because Jesus is the accredited agent of the Father expressing the mind and the will and the purpose and the thought of God who commissioned him. He that loves me not, Jesus said, does not keep my words. The converse then would be true. If you want to love Jesus, then you preserve his words. And the word which you hear is not mine, Jesus added, but the Father's word who sent me. It's important to add in this very chaotic and confused theological environment in which we live that the present so-called demonstrations and manifestations of the Spirit 
have nothing whatsoever to do with spirit as defined by the Bible. The Word and the Spirit are closely linked. If the Spirit is simply the driving force and the mind behind the words that are expressed, Spirit must line up with Word if it is to be genuine Spirit. At present we're witnessing a whole lot of extraordinary manifestations, so-called impartations of Spirit, which produce various physical manifestations, such as jerking and barking even, shaking, groaning, lying on the ground for protracted periods of time. None of these have any validity in Scripture itself. The true spirit is manifested in the spirit of a sound mind, and that sound mind reflects always the teachings of Jesus himself. Nowhere in Scripture did anyone ever push somebody unconscious under the spirit. On certain occasions the presence of God did cause people to fall to the ground, but on those occasions everyone fell under the presence of the power of God. It was not, as we sometimes see today, one person standing and a whole lot of others falling. That's quite uncharacteristic of the Bible and should be avoided at all costs. The only way to test any claimed manifestation of the Spirit of God is to compare what you see and hear carefully with Scripture itself. Examine the Scriptures daily as the Bereans did in Acts 17 verse 11. By careful probing of the Bible on a daily basis, examining it, testing ideas to see if they line up with the evidence of the Scripture, that's the way to be preserved from the snares and the deception of the devil. Our time is running out for today. We invite you to request from us our free book on the kingdom. Ask also for the article on the millennium and request a tape of the program you've been listening to. Join us again as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.